Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming back this evening. Appreciate the children's choir and for Greta and Madison working with them. Terrific, terrific job. Hope you've all received a handout for this evening. We are going to be looking at just one verse tonight, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. As I was looking at this section, there is so much in it, I either had to pack a great deal into one message or stretch uh, one message in dealing with just a verse, but uh, I decided I would do the latter because uh, it's a significant portion of Scripture. I fear it is important that we live consistently with our profession of faith. Since we have become a Christian, we're to live differently than we had lived before we were a Christian. Tonight we consider, uh, tonight the consideration is that we, that before we were Christians, we believed and spoke things that were false. Now we're to be a people who delight in and speak the truth. Our verse tonight is Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So I want to dissect that verse tonight. We begin by looking at number one as Christians. We have chosen to depart from all that is false. For it tells in verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, we have made that decision in following Christ. So A is, we have abandoned that which is associated with our prior sinful lifestyle, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. So part of this former manner of life was falsehood. Falsehood. Number one, lying is a part of our sinful past. The scripture refers to mankind's propensity to lie as proof that all people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Thus, everyone does it. Uh, we know the verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I find it significant that in order to prove that premise, that everyone's a sinner, it chooses a sin that we have universally committed. There's not a person in this room that can say, I never told a lie. And let me just say, George Washington couldn't say that either. Uh, no one is totally free from having lied. Notice Romans 3, 10 through 13. It reads, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So you see that repetition, not one, not one, not one, no one. And then it says in verse 13, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. They use their tongues to deceive. Uh, to demonstrate that there is none righteous, no, not one. That all have turned aside, no one does good. For they use their tongues to deceive. Number two, again, the universal nature of lying is seen in that mankind in general is referred to as liars. Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not man that he should lie. God is not man that he should lie. 
The implication of that is that's what men do. Men lie. God doesn't, but, but mankind does. Three, conversely, God does what he says he will do. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? So whatever God says, God will do. Which results in the idea that mankind all too often is unreliable. People's word is not their bond. Uh, We use that phrase, but uh, all kinds of things are done to try to get people to keep their word. Uh, People enter into contracts. Uh, You can't simply trust what someone says so often, and so it's just commonplace that you enter into a contract with someone to hold them accountable with the very idea that they probably are not going to do what they say they're going to do. Lying is the product of a sinful heart, Mark 7 and following. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. That's Jesus speaking, of course. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit. There's the aspect of lying once again. B, instead of lying, we're now seeking to demonstrate a morality that appropriately represents God. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on the new self created after likeness of God. So this new self is that we are to be like God, that we are to represent the image of God. We are to show the world what godliness, godlikeness is really like. And so this new creation idea is also given to us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the creator God does not lie. Therefore, being made anew in his creation, again, we are to put away lying. So see, if we are seeking to be like God, then we must put away anything that is false, for God never lies. God is not like us. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man, that he should lie. God does not lie, period. Titus 1, 1 and 2 says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So it's a universal truth. God never lies. In counseling, one of the things that uh, people are exhorted to stay away from is the term never. You never do this. You never do that. Well, rarely is that true that someone perpetually always does something. But in this case, it's not an exaggeration. It's not a misnomer. God never lies. Never has. Does not now. 
and never will. And that's what makes his promises so wonderful. Because what he says, he's going to do. Three, furthermore, God cannot lie, for it goes against his nature, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Not only does he not lie, but the very concept that he may lie is abominable. It is impossible for God to lie. And it would be wrong to say that he could not lie even if he wanted to because the whole point is he would never want to. He would never want to. And we could get into a long theological discussion about the fact that it's impossible for God to lie, but it begins with that aspect that he would never want to. God is not a deceiver. God is a God of truth. But secondly, he never lies because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So whatever he says he will do will come to pass because there's nothing that can oppose his will. There's nothing that can contradict. There, there is nothing that would prevent God from doing what he has done. Many times we commit to certain things uh, and then something comes of which we have absolutely no control over. We get sick or, or something happens and though we had all good intention of following through, there was something that enabled us from following through because we're not all-powerful. But God is. We can talk about wisdom. We can talk about knowledge. You see, sometimes we can't see what's coming up. And again, we can have good plans, but we can't foresee every circumstance. Uh, we can't know every particular situation that's going to come to pass. God is omniscient. God knows all things. God is never surprised. God is never taken unaware. And the point is, you put together the whole character of God, you take into consider all the attributes of God, and the result is it's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. It is totally outside of his character and his being, which is what makes God so unique. D. There are many temptations that lead us to lie even as believers. So getting back to this aspect of the desire, there are desires that we possess that run contrary to our being people of truth. And it's helpful to, I think, contemplate some of those temptations just so that we are more cognizant of them, more aware of them, more on guard, uh, that we would uh, be careful when we speak, that we would tell the truth. One is the temptation to be accepted by others. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. And then he says this, not to please man, but to please God. Not to please man, but to please God. To always remember that God is aware of what we say, and we should be much more concerned about pleasing God than we are about pleasing someone else. Uh, it can be a temptation to want to please someone else, uh, to uh, say something flattering, uh, to say something that uh, is not completely honest, and I'll get into manipulation and, and all these other things. Uh, I remember 
like it was yesterday, and there aren't many things I remember like yesterday, but uh, I, I was sitting in a study hall one time, and there were tryouts for the school musical. And there were a group of girls that were sitting there, and they were huddling and talking. And the girl that got the lead was, was not very well liked. She was kind of snobbish, and she was talented, and she knew it, and kind of lorded over people. And as, as they were sitting around talking, these four or five girls, one of them that had tried out and didn't get the part, everybody else said, oh, you're so good. I don't understand why you didn't get the part. It's so unfair. It's so unjust. And I'm sitting here thinking, she can't even carry a tune. Yes, this other girl was a snob and so on, but the reality is this girl didn't deserve the part. But that's not what her friends were going to tell her. Uh, they were going to tell her what she wanted to hear. And there is a temptation to tell people what they want to hear. The second temptation is to flatter people in order to manipulate them. Uh, for Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery. He's now talking about the way in which he shared the gospel. Uh, he didn't try to manipulate people, win them over by having them have some kind of allegiance to him as opposed to the gospel and to the truth. Psalm 12, verse 2 says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak, which means that they aren't sincere in what they say. They have a double heart. They have a double reason. Uh, they want to manipulate. They, they want this person to like them in order to gain an advantage. It's a little different than pleasing other people. It's to make people beholden to you. The third temptation is to promote ourselves in the eyes of others. Nor do we seek glory from people. The most common way that people seek to make themselves look good is by seeking to make other people look bad. Psalm 15, verses 1 through 3. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So this idea of, of slandering someone is, is to speak something about them that's false, to to put someone else down, to in some way do harm to their reputation in order to make ourselves look better so that we can say we are not like that. Like in the New Testament where the Pharisee stands there and he prays and he says, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. And he talks about how he does this and how he does that and... and uh, then we have the poor publican who doesn't even raise his head and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, we can be very critical of others in order to make ourselves look good. Then there's the temptation to escape trouble. That lying can be a seemingly easy way out. You remember the story in Genesis chapter 21, Abraham and Sarah. And uh, they were coming into the city and uh, 
<laughs> I put the wrong verses down here. And uh, they come into the city and they make an agreement where Abraham says to Sarah, say that you are my sister because she is so beautiful. And he is afraid that they are going to attack him out of a desire to have Sarah uh, as their own. Well, as you think about that, that was really, really foolish. Uh, that just made Sarah open game. There are so many things that could have gone wrong with that whole scenario. And God intervenes. God protects. God keeps Sarah from having a, a, a sexual relationship with Abimelech. And, and that's God's mercy and grace so that there would be no question when Abraham's born, uh, excuse me, when Isaac is born, who is Abraham's father, Isaac's father, and you get the whole picture. But the point is that Abraham saw that as a way of creating safety. Um, we may think for financial security, we have to lie on our taxes. We may think because of a particular danger we're in that we, we must tell a lie in order to escape. That's our only out. Uh, these are very real temptation. Number five, the temptation to misrepresent who we are and seek to be, appear to be spiritual, among other things. In the early church, many were selling all that they had in order to benefit others. Acts 4, 34 and 35. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as they had need. That became normative in the early church. If you had anything, you sold it and uh, gave it to the apostles to distribute to anyone who would have need. Well, that turned out not to be the best plan in the world and you end up with the poor saints of Jerusalem. But the point is, that's what they did. And... Ananias and Sapphira got caught up in this expectation. Ananias and Sapphira did not want to give all they had away, but wanted to appear to be as committed as everyone else, and so lied about their sale of property. Acts 5, 3 to 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, you didn't have to do this. First, you didn't have to sell the land at all. And secondly, you didn't have to give the entire proceeds. If you wanted to keep 50%, you could keep 50%. There was no legislation. There was no demand. There was no law passed. Why is it that you have contrived this need in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias heard these words. He fell down and breathed his last. And great fear became on all who heard it. So the point was that Ananias did this because he wanted to appear to be as spiritual as everyone else. This is what people were doing. And they wanted to appear as committed, as dedicated, as everyone else. So they lied about how much their property sold for and pretended that they had given all of it away and they kept back some for themselves. Again, if they had been honest, there would have been no problem. 
But they lied because they wanted to appear to be spiritual. But we need to be really careful in the way in which we represent ourselves because we do want to look good before others. We have a desire to be looked up to, to be honored, to be admired. But they should be for the right reasons. They should be for the right reasons. And so often it is that when people commit a sin, the biggest concern they have is that no one find out about it, that no one becomes aware of it. And I'm not saying we have to wear every sin on our sleeve. We don't have to divulge every wrongdoing, but we shouldn't present ourselves as something that we are not. We shouldn't be talking about a commitment that we have made that is really beyond the commitment that we have made. We shouldn't be bragging about our Bible reading or something if it's not really true as to what we're doing and the activities we're engaged in. But there can be a temptation to want to appear spiritual and build ourselves up in the eyes of others. Number two, as Christians, we are to be people of the truth. Just as lying is pervasive among non-believers, truth-telling is to be pervasive among the children of God. Let me say that again. Just as lying is pervasive among non-believers, truth-telling is to be pervasive among the children of God. To say it in another way, before we are Christians, it is typical that we lie. Once we become Christians, it ought to be typical that we tell the truth. There ought to be a transformation. Uh, so Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you, and so I put that in bold, let each of you, it's referring to every single Christian, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We should always speak the truth in love, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. In other words, we're, this is not talking about being harsh. <laughs> this isn't talking about being mean. Uh, this isn't talking about using truth as a, as a weapon. Uh, I'm not saying that when that girl said uh, that it was unfair that uh, uh, she did not get the lead in the school musical, I did not feel compelled to walk over there and say, well, you know, you, you sing awful. Okay. I was not compelled to correct what was said. But I am compelled not to go along with it. We need to be careful that, that we don't hide behind the idea of just being honest with people with actually being downright mean and cruel. All right, there is such a thing as tact that is still appropriate. Okay, so we need to realize words can cut to the quick. So we need wisdom in knowing how to respond to people in an honest way and yet compassionate and kind and generous. And so it requires great wisdom, great wisdom. And see, sometimes speaking the truth will not be well received. Sometimes we have to say things that are hard. That's even to our children. Uh, things that, if we're gonna be honest, People just don't want to hear. But you have to say them anyway. Uh, especially, you know, as I think of, you know, teaching the word of God. Uh, there's a temptation to tell people what they want to hear. 
the scripture talks about that in the last days, they will have itching ears and they will uh, have teachers that are going to scratch those itches that, that tell them what they want to hear. But we have to be a people of the truth. But Galatians 4.16 says, if I, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Um, we shouldn't become people's enemies by being people of the truth. Now the scriptures does warn the fool does not receive instruction, but the wise learn and improve. Uh, so it's not always well received. Number three, we are to speak the truth to our mutual benefit. Ephesians 4.25, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Uh, that means that we have a relationship one to another. Uh, we, our lives directly impact each other. And our dishonesty isn't something that will just impact us, it will impact other people. Um, if you think about a person whose mind no longer functions as it should, if they have some kind of dementia and they are perceiving life the way it really isn't, they have false thoughts, well, it affects not only what they think, but what they say, what their hands do, where their feet go, uh, it affects their whole being. And so it is that our lives can have a mutual detriment to one another where our truth-telling is a mutual help to one another. So truth builds relationships, Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And it's talking about truth. And it's talking about not just Biblical truth, but all truth. Lies are divisive. Truth unites. B, tr the foundation of any relationship is trust, which means we must be truthful. There's this portion of scripture that if you've ever done premarital counseling with me, and I just say, when I do premarital counseling, I don't follow a particular book, and I don't follow a, a particular course, because everybody that gets married, their situation is different. It may be common to somebody else, but you know, some people may be young, some people may be older. They have lived on their own, or they've always lived under mom and dad's house. They're used to purchasing groceries. Other people have no concept of what things cost. There are so many different factors that I, I try to tailor what we're doing to the person's situation who's sitting before me. But there is one use, universal passage of scripture that I go to when it comes to premarital counseling. Because the foundation of any relationship is trust, is trust. And in Psalm 37, 
we have a depiction of a relationship that exists between God and his people, and particularly our relationship to God. And I liken this unto marriage because when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, the scripture itself starts talking about marriage and how that marriage is to be reflective of the relationship of Christ in the church. So as I think about this relationship with God, I apply it to a marital relationship, and I would then expand for the purpose of tonight and say, I think this is true of any relationship. So let me work our way through it. Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Cultivate faithfulness. So I, I, I look at this as a foundation. Trust is the foundation. And then I begin to look at building blocks to this foundation. So trust. What is the benefit of trust? What does trust yield? The answer is verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord. The more you trust somebody, the more you can delight in them. The more you trust somebody, the more you can feel at home with them. You can appreciate them. You can admire them. You can look up to them. You have nothing but good thoughts towards people who you can trust. Trust, delight. The next step is commit. Commit. That's a natural response. The more you trust someone, the more you delight in someone, the more delight you have in that person, the more committed you become. To the point where somebody is dating and they have grown to trust that person. They have, thrown, they, have, they have chosen to be intimate with that person in terms of sharing their thoughts, their desires with that person. They have learned to delight in that person. They like to spend time with them. And they make a commitment. They get engaged. They say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And they make this decision to get married, and they follow through and they marry. And then verse 7 says, rest in the Lord. That is the ultimate outcome. Trust, delight, commit, and then you're at rest. You know, it, it, it's wonderful when you're first married and you don't have to think anymore about who that right person is because you're satisfied. You've you got the right person. You don't have to worry about having a date for Saturday night because you know who you're going to be spending Saturday night with. There's rest in a, in a multitude of ways. Trust, delight, commit, and rest. But you see, there's also, conversely, a downward spiral. If you can't trust somebody, you're going to start losing your delight. If you can't trust somebody, you're going to start feeling anxiety. You're going to start feeling frustration. You're going to start feeling perhaps anger, betrayed. If you can't trust somebody, you're not going to delight in them. And if you don't delight in them, then that commitment starts to erode. Then you don't want to follow through. Then, then you don't want to continue with these wonderful statements that you have made. And when the commitment begins to erode, boy, does the rest go out the window. No longer at peace, no longer satisfied and probably can't even sleep at night because it's keeping you awake. So trust is so vitally, vitally important. When my kids were growing up, 
I had one thing that I just stressed over and over and over again to them, and that is, don't you ever lie to me. It will be far better, whatever you do, if you tell me the truth. And if you don't tell me the truth, if you lie to me, you're in trouble on steroids. So don't even think about it, okay? You need to tell me the truth. And we need to be honest with each other, husbands and wives, children and parents, and brothers and sisters in the Lord. We, we need to be people of our word. And the more we can trust one another, the more we'll delight in one another, the more we delight in one another, the more committed we'll be to one another, and the more we'll be at rest. We'll be at home, we'll be satisfied, we'll be at peace. We will enjoy being together. So practical steps to becoming more truthful. Just some thoughts. What can we do to, to try to become more truthful? Well, A, be sure to keep your commitments. Again, Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So God does what he says. So number one, be honest. Do not commit yourself to doing anything that you are not intending to do. Again, in order to please people, somebody may ask you to do something, and you say you will, but in the back of your mind, you never, ever intended really to do it. Don't, do, don't go there. Don't go there. In a close second, don't say maybe to something that you really already have decided that you're not doing. You're not being helpful. You're just prolonging the agony, and you're keeping that other person from moving on. Yet your yes be yes and your no, no. All right? Uh, Secondly, be wise and guard yourself so you do not overcommit. We can have a big heart and want to do so many things, but it's easy to get to a place where they're, we're overcommitted. Uh, there, there was a well-known conference speaker who is now dead, so uh, I will not refer to them by name I won't dishonor the dead, but he was notorious for taking speaking engagements a year out, two years, because it was very hard to get. And uh, I remember one time he was scheduled to preach here, and uh, he called me uh, three weeks before he was scheduled to speak, and he said, Cal, he said, I just realized I'm supposed to be at four places. The Sunday I'm supposed to be at Lebanon. He said, I know you the best, so I'm saying no to you first. <laughs> well, be careful. Be careful. Keep a date book. All right? Uh, write things down. Take steps to make sure you do not forget commitments that you make. Uh, take advantage, advantage of text management tools. There, there's so much stuff out there now. You know, you can write down your tasks. You can, you know, the... The phone can buzz you and remind you, and, and you can set flags and all kinds of things. Loads of ways that uh, we've gotten long, be, long beyond uh, tying a, a string on your finger. Remember that one? Uh, you tie a string on your finger so you don't forget. Or you don't have to write it on the palm of your hand. There's a lot better ways, but, but uh, take steps. Take steps. For be faithful in little things. Luke 16.10, one who is faithful in very little is 
also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. It is irritating when people do not follow through on their commitments. Proverbs 10, 26. I love this imagery, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the sluggard is to those who sent him. Uh, meaning that he doesn't follow through. It's like getting sm smoke in your eyes. And I'm sure you've gotten smoke in your eyes at some time, and that's very irritating and, and uh, it's painful. Well, so it is when people don't follow through. It turns out that lying is no small thing. We talk about little white lies, but reality is we ought to be people of, of, of the truth. And unfortunately, unfortunately, because lying is so perversive, because there is such a propensity to lie, that many times when we confess it to one another, when we admit to one another, uh, we'll say, oh, that's no big deal. That's all right. I understand. Because we all do it, and it's easy to slough off. But Proverbs 6, 17 and 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And if I were going to make a list of seven sins that are abominable, I don't know if these would make the cut. I think there's things that we think of that are much worse than what are on this list. So it's an eye-opener. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who speaks out lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren, uh, one that stirs up strife. B, keep in mind how powerless we are over events and circumstances. There is much in life that is beyond our control, therefore be humble in the way that we speak. James' passage, you probably know it well, says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you have a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. It's helpful. I don't think... We have to say that constantly. But it's helpful to say it from time to time, even as a reminder to ourselves, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. And reality is that every commitment we make has that understanding, hopefully among believers, that there is so much in life that we have no control over. We can't do everything that we say we are going to do. There are limitations. There are limitations. Our God is sovereign. And there may be things he doesn't want us to do. But I would say that we have to be careful that we don't hide it behind that too. Because it maybe isn't God's will that we're going against, but our will. We just decide that we don't want to do it any longer. We've changed our mind. Uh, it, our heart's not in it any longer. Uh, so we have to be careful. See, in order to follow through on your commitment to pray for someone or something, pray immediately. Pray immediately. Uh, 
It is so easy to say to someone, I'm going to pray for you. And you end up not praying for them. So I would just encourage you, one of the things you can do, if someone asks you to pray, pray right then and there. You know, whether you're in public or, or whatever, you know, you don't have to put on a big show or, or what have you, but you can just bow your head with somebody and say, let's pray. And pray for that right then and there, and you can check it off. You said you were going to do it, you did it. And it's also an encouragement to that person because they actually hear you. Pray for them. D, be sure to pray and ask God to help you guard your speech. Psalm 120, verse 2, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Ask God to change our hearts so that we are kept from being deceitful. We don't exaggerate. We don't stretch the truth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then lastly, memorize scripture verses that address the issue of truthfulness, such as Psalm 19:14, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Make it a matter of prayer. Uh, that we be a people of the truth. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and the desire that you have placed in us uh, to be people of truth. Uh, but Lord, it is not in man. And it's really not in us. It's by your spirit that these things are going to be accomplished. And Lord, uh, I pray that we would commit ourselves, we, we would make a conscious choice to be people of the truth. But Lord, then that we would also seek you to help us to be people of the truth. Guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our thoughts, guard our words. And Lord, help us to be people that examine ourselves. That we take time to just say, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the paths of righteousness. May there be times in which we just are soul searching and we honestly seek to evaluate before you how we're doing and help us to continually grow in the area of truthfulness, honesty. We want to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.